Hello, Button Up Podcast listener. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Every week for the past few months, Brock, McGough, and I have gotten together to chat about uh, our YouTube channel and the things that we're working on. Well, this week, what we want to do is get right into the interview that we are very pleased to present, which is TGV of the Urban Gentry. We talked for over 90 minutes, and in each of our episodes, we like to get behind the person who started the YouTube channel or the person who started their company. And so I just want to get right into the interview today, but I will say that there were uh, a lot of excess chat that we had before, during, and after the interview. And I'm going to, I pulled that all out and I'm putting it as an After Dark episode, which will be posted just moments after this in the same feed. So if you want to hear about TGV, how he started his channel, and his thoughts on his channel, that's what this episode is for. If you want to hear just some of the chatter that Brock, TGV, and I had uh, around the call, that is in its own episode. So I encourage you to check out the feed for both of these episodes if you're as big of a fan of the Urban Gentry as I have become over the past few years. So without further ado, here is our interview with TGV. Well, we're very excited today to have TGV from the Urban Gentry channel. We uh, are glad we can have you on the Button Up podcast. Very glad to be here. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to join you guys. Absolutely. So now you are extremely well known on YouTube and on the internet for your love and your passion of horology, watches, timepieces. And I've always been curious. I think you may have, you know, talked about this a little bit on your channel, but we always like to get into some of the background of, uh, you know, who you are, who is TGV, and then how did you start the channel? And uh, that's what I'm, that's what I know I'm most interested in learning today. Right. Cool. That sounds cool. I I, I got to say before we start, I uh, from what I've seen of your channel, I really enjoy it. And Brock, you, uh, you did an outstanding video. Uh, I think it was it four or five watches. You you need to oh, I forget the title, but it was. Um, I, I I definitely agreed with something with your selection. So I'm uh, equally honoured to be here. So. Oh, thank you. So um, what 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 is your first question? Oh yeah, well we know that you are from the UK. You're you're a English gentleman, and uh, I guess where'd you grow up? What, what were some of your roots? Um, well, actually, I, I my father's from Italy, uh, and my and my mother's English, um, and I was born in London, and I spent the first couple of uh, years of my life in Italy. So I had, and I went I went back and forth, um, and that very much uh, gave me. Um, quite a uh, quite a broad perspective especially european perspective i grew up predominantly in in london in fact actually italian was my first language so and you can sometimes you, you can hear it the way i pronounce certain words um so uh, i still still very much part of each culture but um was very influenced um probably by my grandfather who who i mean you you said english gentleman i i do not consider myself a gentleman at all um but i i try to live up to um uh, i guess an an ideal or or um well my grandfather was definitely a big inspiration um in in a lot of things um including horology so what what else would you like to know you also mentioned it in in some of your videos too. You seem to have a connection to uh, the military in in some way. So was that part of your your family culture also? Yes, absolutely. I, on my British side, um, it's been a. I come from quite a 
um, distinguished military family. I'm actually the first generation not to serve. Uh, and it was basically, I mean, I've, I also have, I'm not trying to get myself off the hook because honestly, I, if I could, I would have, uh, but I, I have health problems, which just, you know, I, I just can't, um, I couldn't. So uh, it's a bit of a shame, but I'm very proud of, of, of my family's history and especially involvement um, in a lot of conflicts. I mean, it's, it's a double-edged sword because on, on one hand, very, very proud, and and, and um, it's, it's a it's a wonderful history to 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 be, I guess, descended from. But at the same time, it's extremely sad because uh, the the sacrifice um, my my family's made, uh, family members dying, and this and I have cousins that are still serving. It's 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 a it's a thing of pride and also a thing of pain, really. Um, it's quite sad, and I, I um, in in some regards and. Uh, I had family that lost their lives in both world wars, and and actually in on my Italian side too, um, uh, the, the Italy was completely ravaged, and my family went through some um, really harsh, especially in the post-war period. There was a lot of poverty, um, and my family on my English side pretty much lost, like a lot of. Um, English families did. They they lost their um, their fortunes, um, you know, fighting the enemy. So it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, I'm extremely proud, and the, on the other, it's um, very painful. I always consider uh, Remembrance Day the most important day of the year. I mean, uh, aside from Christmas, it's something. You know, we 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 stand up and um, the, the Queen lays the wreath at the cenotaph, and it's, it's we all we always cry. It's just extremely emotional and it's very important I, th I think it's important I think a lot of kids these days do not understand the sacrifices previous generations went through in order to have the freedom and uh, everything that we a lot of people take for granted so it's it's extremely important yeah yeah I absolutely understand that actually my father was the first of the generations and my family to not serve and then I'm trying to get my brother to get into it and so yeah I definitely uh, you know all all of my my grandfather and and his brothers and his parents we have all of their uh, you know their military photos and that type of thing so oh that's 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 cool i those are those are treasured possessions i mean yeah you should really um those are the things that you want to <laughs> you want to take with you to your grave. Yeah, definitely. You know? So you also mentioned in the past that some of your earliest watches were actually Seamasters. So what, what are some of your earliest like watch or horological related memories as a child? Well, um, going back to family, I, I, uh, like I said, we, my family, uh, lost, well, pretty much everything in the, in the war. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to inherit my grandfather's pocket watch, a small art collection, and his signet ring. Uh, and, th and that's on my mother's side, on my British side. On my Italian side, I inherited my father's Seiko, uh, which was an automatic. My grandfather's piece on my British side was a beautiful um, Frodsham, a, a Charles Frodsham is a British watchmaker. He was a watchmaker to the royal family for a long, long time, I think in the 18th century. Um, and I, I, I don't, um, I was just very fortunate 
fortunate to, to inherit that. And that really sparked my interest. And I think what is interesting about this um, dichotomy of two absolutely um, oppo opposing, I mean, one is a, is a very affordable um, mass produced Seiko. On the other hand, on the other hand, we have my grandfather's Poggy watch, which was solid 18 karat gold with a hand engraved movement, beautiful, you know, really extremely classy and, and, and of the old world, right? So this juxtaposition really opened my eyes to a wide range of, of watches. And I did, it's not until my teens that I bought my first Omega and it was, it was a, a quartz uh, no, actually, sorry, it was a automatic. Then I went to the courts, but it was the Bond, you know, the the um, Pierce Brosnan. Uh, uh, it was actually the midsize, which was what I think Diana gave Prince William. That was my first kind of real luxury watch that I'd pay, pay, paid for with my own money. But I think early on, that that mix of of both, I, you could say, kind of horology, you know, because it is handmade and, and quite prestigious with it from a from a respected um, London British watchmaker. And then, you know, the Seiko. It just it just widened my scope of of what's out there. And I, I you know, I'm still collecting Seikos to this day. So um, yeah, the, those are the probably the most core important pieces. And you know, like like we were discussing earlier, the Amigas are incredibly important because of their history. Uh, in both world wars, supplying watches uh, to the British military. So there's there's a deep connection there, and and that was part of, like I said in the video when I bought the um, World War II pilot watch, part of the logic behind um, me buying it. What 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 time in your life was this uh, that that you were really starting to get into watches that you were you know starting to buy higher end pieces with your own money? Was this after you had moved to New York, you know, met your wife and moved to New York, or was this earlier than that? I, I had always loved watches. I I collected watches, you know, as a child, I, I had swatches and, and various citizens, but always affordable pieces. I think the way I was raised was it had to be appropriate to your age. And I think my, my parents, they wouldn't have never allowed me to have anything expensive at a young age. I, I just... It's not until I started because I, I, I come from the, the music industry and, and I remember the first serious bit of money I made. Uh, I did the stereotypical thing. I bought a Rolex and, and um, to, to, as an address watch to complement my meager. It, it, it kind of happened in my 20s. I, I wasn't I hadn't started a channel. I had no intention. That all happened completely by accident, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's basically, I wanted to celebrate the fact that I had earned based on, on something I had created from scratch. I, I'd, I'd produced a piece of music, I'd mixed it, engineered it, and I'd sold it. Um, and I couldn't really believe it. I, I, it, it was to a, a customer. Yeah, he'd sent me a cash transfer. I got the money out and I just couldn't believe it. So I, 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 I wanted to spend it on something that I would remember and have with me. And I think that is one of the important things about a watch is that, um, you know, you wear it, it's, it goes with you on your journey in life. And I wanted to mark that occasion. It was important to me because I, I, I had been really struggling uh, up until that point. Um, and I, the way I was raised, I, I'm not, I think there's a misconception about 
you know, I don't want to say the upper classes because I don't consider myself upper class whatsoever. My father's very working class. My, my mother is upper class, but I had always been raised to make your own way in the world. And, and from 18, I had moved out and I had always paid my own way. That's the honorable manly thing to do. Um, I think there is a misconception about that. But anyway, that's a whole different issue. But yeah, I, I wanted to mark the occasion with, with, with a watch. And um, that's when I seriously got into it. I just... I bought one and then it just another one and then you know every every paycheck I got I just started buying watches so yeah I, I was I was gonna ask I guess just more about the story like like the logistics of it when did you like were you already working in music in uh, London and then you decided to come to New York you know for personal reasons or did you uh, come to the States to pursue to work with a certain company or, or for you know business reasons or how, how did that work that's a, that's a great question. I um, originally I I had studied music in London. I had been I had been living in Florence. Uh, my father sent me away to Florence because he wanted me to get out of England and p pursue a classical education. I studied uh, neorealism in in Italian cinema, specialising in Vittorio De Sica, Rossellini, classic Italian cinema. I, I'd always been interested in cinema. When I was living in Florence, I got more and more into music. Uh, I had met my now my wife. Uh, she was studying at NYU. Have a part of their school. They have a, um, a beautiful, actually a really stunning villa just outside of um, Florence. And uh, we fell in love. Uh, she went back to New York. I went back to London. Uh, she then came to live with me in London, and um, I had I started pursuing an, an education in music production. And then she she told me about a school in New York on University Plaza called the Institute of Audio Research. I applied, I got in, um, I then moved over uh, on a student visa. Uh, I then, when I finished, when I graduated, I got into an internship at a recording studio in Midtown. Um, and then um, about the same time, we decided uh, I, I we decided to get married. I then stayed. I then started getting, but the, the, what's interesting about this period is that I had started working professionally in about 2006 and the music industry was really dying. I mean, this was post Napster. In the six month period I was doing an internship, I had, I had seen with my own eyes big record companies slash their budgets for, for big artists. You know, there used to be countless engineers working on one album almost round the clock until it was just one guy at the same time you know myspace was big and everything was changing cd sales were, were, were dying off i remember the virgin megastores at times square closing down and that was like a really it was a pivotal moment so i had to diversify i had to get out of that game i, I then went into recording um, sound on on um, advert advertising shoots, and then finally in tr transcribing and editing audio for audio books and stuff like that. And I'll just get temporary gigs, and I still do it to this day. I just I I work gig by gig basically. I'm uh, not really recording anymore, just editing. And and then I made then I started the channel as a kind of uh, I think about three years ago now as a as a means to share my watch collecting and and originally I just wanted to discuss cinema but those videos got only a hundred views 
And when I would review the watch, it would be thousands, and, they, and some of them went viral. So it was logical that I'd continue talking about watches. Um, and the, the jump from editing audio to editing visuals uh, the the uh, I'm sure as you know if you've ever gone in Final Cut it's it's uh, the sequencing is very it's the, basically the same thing as Pro Tools only with images with a moving image so it was just a you know a little progression so yeah that's how, that's how that happened so now so you're posting some videos and I, I actually I went back and I was I wish you did more on some of the Bond films because I'm a huge Bond fan and I saw you know you did a right. video like when Spectre yeah. came out but um, you're almost doing your own like market research to say like okay so when I talk about watches people you know this goes all over the place so maybe I should do some more of those what was right. one of the first videos that you really remember like going out big and and then that was the first time you were like wow this this YouTube thing could be pretty powerful uh, that's a great question I think the first, I reviewed a watch uh, from a Swiss maker called Oris, and it was the Oris Aquis. When I started the channel, I would, had already got a Rolex Submariner and various Seikos, and I felt quite well, not not as much as now, but at the time, I, I, almost with a kind of naive arrogance, I, I felt I was well-versed in divers. Um, but that's the thing, you always there's always something new to learn. But anyway, yeah, I, I so I reviewed this Oris Aquis because I felt it was priced at about $1,000, and I was just so impressed at the quality. Uh, it was a Swiss-made, independent brand with a very distinctive uh, modern design that I hadn't seen anything like it. I mean, it slightly looks a little bit like a blank pan, you could almost say, but it very much has this this industrial type look to it um it was, it was almost slightly over engineered and i just i fell in love with it and i think it came through in the video because nobody was really talking about it everyone was either talking about luxury stuff uh, i mean now it's all changed everybody and their mothers on youtube but um back then nobody was talking about these great little kind of mid-range pieces that i, I felt offered so much because a lot of people have this misconception that there's there's either fat you know rolex and then everything above and, and or just kind of extremely affordable um entry-level pieces and the mid-range wasn't being discussed and and that video did so well because like i said i i, I wanted to talk about literature and, and cinema I, did, I had no intention of <laughs> I was going to talk about watches, but I wanted to be more well-rounded a, a whole thing. You know, I just, because uh, the way I was raised, it was to be a, a true gentleman. You you know, you've got to know a little bit about different things. It can't be all one thing. But um, that video did so well, I had to pay attention and I, and people requested more. And, and, and I thought, well, there's, there's not really much else on YouTube at that time. So I, I just, I did. A, I bought more pieces, which was I was doing anyway, um, and I just got deeper and deeper and deeper in it, and it, it never really ends. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about watches; it, it never ends. There's always something new to learn, new to discover. I, I have these moments where I, feel, I, I look at my collection and I feel, oh yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy. But then I, I see some new Seiko that's just come out, and I. My, you know, my my jaw is on the floor, and I just feel I'm, 
right back in it, you know. <laughs> so, so it never ends, yeah. But yeah. that 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 was the watch that did it. Yeah, sorry, go on. Oh yeah, so well then, I, what I find fascinating about your channel, if you look at a lot of what people say about YouTube, is you have to have like five to seven minute videos. Your format is. It looks like 20 minutes now is basically your minimum. And so I find yeah. it fascinating that you've really found this audience that once they've got, once you've got their attention, they're in for it. And I think that attributes to a lot of why people are so passionate about your brand. I mean, passion, people are passionate about watches. You just figure if you're making this video, people are going to watch it or they're just going to click away. Like, how'd you settle on, on what your format is now? That's a very good, that's a really good question. Um, I do get the odd comment saying, oh, it's too long, but you know what? Those those are the people that, that have just somehow accidentally come across my video. I'm not going to rush it. I refuse to um, pander to this kind of attention deficit generation. You know, When we're talking watches, most of my demographic is my age and older. Um, having said that, I do get comments all the time and, and emails from young guys that have discovered the channel somehow and, and are getting into it and have bought their first Seiko or their first Orient or their first whatever. Uh, and they really appreciate it. I'm not, I'm, I make videos, first of all, I make videos really for myself. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to, it's, it's difficult because it, it is a balance, but, uh, I can't rush what, what I'm going to talk about. I, I, it's if you, you know, I've I, uh, an average watch review. I just shot a watch review before I was before I went to um, join you guys, and the full take is an hour and a half. I've got to edit that down, edit that down, edit that down. It's it's, and I think I've got better at minimizing it. I, in the early days, I, I wouldn't edit at all. It would just be a lot of ums and ers. Um, yeah, there. Yeah, I just uh, I just did it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a balance, but also at the same time, you've got to be true to who you are, and, and it's a subject that you can't really rush. Uh, and my my audience appreciate that. And uh, I, I, one day I might I might do quick little snapshot videos, but it's it's not really my style. You know, it's not my style. Nah, let it let it roll, man. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I liked your uh, your video or your discussion about, you know, fashion watches and Daniel Wellington right. and movement and these brands. And I actually right. thought it was really interesting because I, when I, before I watched it, I saw the title, I, I assumed that it wasn't going to be as, it was going to be more negative, I guess, and, oh, and not, not as balanced. Yeah. Because because that that's what people do, especially in the watch yeah. community. I mean, and I, yeah. I have a few videos where I've I promoted brands like that, and because that that's, that's how I got into you know this, yeah. that's how I got into watches. Um, and and I I really liked that point about you know you can hate Daniel Wellington, but they did a better job at getting millennials to wear watches. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. That's such an interesting yeah. point, which I, I feel like they don't. That that was the only time I'd heard that. I guess. Well, I'm I'm glad you noticed that because it's a fundamental point, and it's the truth. I maybe the the, the title was slightly clickbaity, but I wanted to get the attention of of the people that are considering or buying those watches, because it's the truth. Um, the 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 traditional watch market, and you know we're going to touch on it. It's 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 watch snobbery, and they have um, the industry itself. And I'm 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 telling you this from from 
people I've met and they intentionally kind of it permeates outwards from the in industry it started there I, I I was raised in a totally different way I I have family members that are that are extremely extremely um live in, in in almost poverty and then I have other family members that are very uh, affluent and have done well for themselves but it's it's almost bizarre how the, the well-off ones they'll wear a swatch there's no snobbery there they don't have anything to prove you know and i i feel that this kind of unbiased or or, or it wasn't there was too much snobbery in 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 the way people talked about watches and it was it was in a way part of the the, the industry was resting on its laurels and and using this luxury branding to justify their huge profit mar margins and they're very they've been very slow to adapt to youtube and the whole social media thing and they're suffering because of it you know they they were they were depending on the demand from china when that dried up because uh, china introduced new uh, anti corruption laws uh, which which you know tightened the belt over there and then of obviously we had we've had recessions we've had a slowdown in 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 sales of what traditional mechanical pieces because of the introduction while well, they say it's the smartwatch but you know it's not because of that it's because they're not embracing the the new generation most people are not willing to spend more than 5 4 500 dollars on a on a timepiece when i started youtube or my youtube channel there weren't very many people um you know I, I was just there sharing what i love and i said it's, I, I was saying it's fine you can buy a seiko and and it's a great watch you can buy a 200 dollars skx that is respected by enthusiasts that has a wonderful uh, movement with a, a unique uh the the magic lever system is completely unique to the 7s26 it's 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 something to 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 behold it's something to respect it's an iso certified diver and i was saying that look you could spend 200 dollars for the same money as you buy um this fashion watch you know and, and it's difficult because i i almost veer into snobbery myself but it's not uh it's it's a lack of awareness and i and i really wanted to get that message out and if you buy a Dalian Wellington because you love it and it and it does it for you, good. I say go for it, enjoy it, then that's the watch for you. But it's also at the same time, it's the fault of the industry that uh, they're not uh, telling you about the the, uh, the origin of Bauhaus design. They're not telling you about the alternatives of of, of you know. There's many Swiss watchmakers that offer similar a similar aesthetic for the same or a little bit more. And it's their fault they haven't they haven't marketed it correctly, uh, but that's changing. And and you know I'm getting emails. I'm talking to these companies now, now and they're they're taking notice. But you know unfortunately you you sometimes you have to. The only way to prove a point is is to get so much attention that you, you, they can't ignore you anymore. And and uh, it's gonna it's gonna change. I'm working on some things at the moment. I'm actually gonna go to Switzerland, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to. Um, physically go there and uh, pay them a visit but it's it's going to change it's going to change
you actually walked right into the next question I was going to ask is your channel now, you've seen great growth and you've got a considerable size. Are you starting to get outreach from some of these watch companies to either help yes. them launch products or sneak peeks or, or, or do reviews? I mean, are you starting to see that side of YouTube now that you've got the audience? Yes, absolutely. Um, but the way I'm doing it is 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 very different to the established um, blogs and media uh, because how it used to work, well, it still is going on. Um, brands will simply pay people to write articles or to review watches. I don't ask for anything. I, I don't even, I send the watches back. All I ask is I can borrow them for a week or two to to get my impressions and uh, because I want to be journalistically, I've realized I need to be independent and that's why I, I still do YouTube part time. A lot of people come in and they, they, they become dealers or they, it becomes a bit difficult. I will be finding other ways of, of, of generating revenue, but I think it, fundamentally it's important to stay objective to stay independent and to be accessible and have an open relationship with the brands and there are brands that are that are embracing what i'm trying to do they'll reach out to me and they'll send me watches and and i'll send them back and uh it's great because i can say anything i want if they send me a really terrible watch well I've, obviously i'm not gonna i'm not you know I'm, i was raised not to be um, disrespectful in that that regard, but I will I will tell you why it's not a good watch. You know, I'll say, oh, the loom is weak, or um, in in the early days, I I I was just sharing things I loved. It's it's getting a bit different now, where I'm people are looking at me to give a an unbiased report on what this brand brand A or brand B is offering. So yeah, that's that's my modus operandi at the moment. So. Yeah, but it's it's changing. It's 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 getting. It's an exciting time, and I and um, I'm very optimistic. And uh, I I just think keeping being uh, uh, to maintain being positive and and uh, open-minded. I think that is key. That is that is absolutely key. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on the uh, the independence there. I guess cool. so we chatted before uh, before we were recording that I was I was excited by your excitement over your latest Omega, your new yeah. World War II pilot. What other watches do you have like in your mind as like your next Grail watch or the next you know the one that you really either wish you could find or wish you could have? Is there something in your uh, in your tray there? Um, there is a that's a great question. There's a there's a Hanhart, uh, a World War II Hanhart chronograph that Steve McQueen wore. There's a famous picture, I forget the, the reference, but um, there's a famous picture of him sitting on a couch, firing a, or aiming a revolver. And he's wearing, he's completely in white. He's got a pair of soles on, sunglasses on his head. And he just looks so bloody cool. And he's wearing this Hanhart chronograph. And I, I think, I'm not 100% I'm not sure, but because it was a, a German pilot's uh, watch from World War II, and I, I think he may have worn it on The Great Escape or something like that. But anyway, uh, I'm in love with that piece. I I need to research and, and look at Hanhart a little bit more. I love my chronographs. My ultimate grail is a, a Lange is on uh, Langmatic, which is just incredibly 
beautiful and refined um, um i had a whole like a holy experience when i had i handled it actually i went to harrod i was in london i went to harrods and i went into the um Lange, uh they have like a mini boutique in their watch um area or i don't know department um and i had i had already experienced various quarter energy pieces but I was just blown away by the quality and the beauty. It was, it was so, it, it just, it took it to another level. And, and unfortunately the price tag, the one I handled was about 63,000 pounds and that's pounds. Um, and, and uh, God, I mean, you, you could buy a house for that. Um, uh, but nothing has really ever compared to that. You know, it's just um, on my wrist. It was, I had never had a, a watch so so expensive on my wrist. But yeah, that really blew me away. So, um, so they didn't but, do a credit check before they let you put it on your wrist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the amount of security in that place, actually they really got uh, annoyed with me because I had started filming before the security came over. And uh, I, this is, uh, couple of years ago now but yeah it's it's something Lange I mean I think the German watch brands are highly underrated in my opinion I think they make some of the best watches um, luxury and and tool watches uh, Zin is great I mean if you if you guys haven't got to try Zin man I totally recommend them I could definitely talk to you about watches all day and I've watched enough hours of your channel to, uh, to know, to start to get into your cool. head a little bit, but, uh, you know, nice. your channel, your channel's growing. I'm, I'm in your Facebook group. It's super active. Like, what are you excited about in the next year? I'm going to make the pilgrimage to, to Switzerland. At some point I want to go to Germany. Um, I'm, I'm very enthusiastic and I don't feel it's been a lot of doom and gloom about the watch industry, but I think things are picking up. I don't think I don't think that um, smartwatches are going to kill it off anytime soon. I, I, in fact, quite the opposite. I think it's going to be an exciting time. People are always going to wear watches. There's always going to be a demand for it, whether it be luxury or whatever, as a tool to serve a purpose. Uh, I, I think we can only grow. I, I just want to keep learning, keep getting the message out there, and spreading the knowledge and and you know, I, I've got to say this, and this is really important. I get emails from uh, younger gentlemen every day. I mean, I mean, really young. I mean, in their teens, saying that somehow they came across this channel and they're getting into watches, and they they just they love they just love the hobby, and it's something that you can enjoy your whole whole life, and you pass down to the next generation. And when I get those emails and those comments, it's hugely inspiring and motivational for me. And, and that is why I make videos. Um, so just to continue that and, and keep building momentum, uh, I, I feel is the ultimate goal. So yeah, I'm very excited, very optimistic. That's awesome. Yeah, I spent, uh, I spent a lot of time in Zurich for work these past few months and uh, the, just the heritage of that place, it's incredible. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So then is there a shifty thing coming where you do dedicate all of your time to the channel or do you see that in your future? It's it's a bit of a, a rocky period for YouTube, but I, I have every confidence that, that they will sort it, sort it out. I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm working on some other businesses that I think will probably, by the time people listen to this, it will probably be out there. But 
in terms of going full time, I'd love to, but I'm not going to do that until it's, you know, solid, probably, I don't want to even give a number, but substantially larger. Yeah. Well, you've got your silver play button. You're on your way to the gold one. Right. <laughs> I'm still waiting for it. They they need to send, they they said eight, uh, six to eight weeks, you know, it's crazy. Anyway. Yeah. You got to hang that up on your, in your back, the backdrop there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, great. It was really awesome catching up with you, TGV slash the governor. Uh, I think people know the Urban Gentry, one of the one of the great channels on YouTube for just like independent thought, uh, watch, talk, everything else. And same thing with your Facebook group. I mean, I like that you do some of your polls on there, and you just really thank keep you. the pulse of the of the watch enthusiast community. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure, and and um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this stuff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.